0: This week, we're taking issue with the things people say. Nothing but words of praise after the city of Boston and the patrolmen's union strike a new collective bargaining agreement. The presidents of Harvard and MIT step in it on Capitol Hill. And Kevin McCarthy goes back on his word. I'm Corey. I'm Sue. And this is Taking Issue. Our
1: nation was born here, not with a whimper, but with the spark of revolution. One more indictment. And this election is closed out. That's what democracy is. It's a choice of the people, by the people, and for the people.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Taking Issue. I'm Corey Smith, joined by NBC10 Boston political commentator and analyst Sue O'Connell. And it's just us today. It's just us, us babies. babies. Because, Because. for the best of reasons, uh, our Matt Pritchard is on paternity leave after he and his wife Amy welcomed in a new baby girl. Mm to the world last week or this week I should say. Uh, so congrats to to them. Uh, he is going to be off for the next couple of months except for when he hits the road to go to Iowa for the caucus. What a great way to return from
1: paternity leave yes, just go yes, right, right to Iowa. Right in the middle of an election.
0: So uh, congrats to them uh, but Matt will will be missed but we'll uh, we'll definitely check in with him a little bit once he uh, comes back. All right, let's uh let's go and get started. Um, a lot of things said this week. Yes, A lot of things lot said of this week. Some good, some bad, some, you know, I guess in the middle you might say. Uh, we'll start locally, uh, the Boston police department, the patrolman's unit, the largest union uh, of the police department, and the city of Boston striking a new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, a lot of reforms, uh, especially when it comes to discipline and, and how arbitration is used uh, when a, a, an officer is, is punished for something and can somehow get his job back, depending on what it is. Uh, now some new parameters in place. Some things uh, will not be allowed to go to arbitration, uh, and the punishment will stay in place. Uh, ju- just your thoughts on arriving to this point, which uh, I'll get to this in a little bit, but it just kind of surprised me, that oh, we've got an agreement.
1: Yeah, it, no, it's a, it's a major victory for Michelle Wu. There's no doubt about it. Um, for folks who don't have a history here in Boston or are young, uh, these union negotiations with the fire department, with the police department, have been volatile. I mean, we have a history of, of this going back centuries. And uh, none other than the late Mayor Tom Menino, who was once going to his State of the Union, State of the uh, City address at Fanel Hall. His wife, Angela, was spit on by mm. the firefighters uh, who were protesting over the negotiations. So, you know, it's not just Michelle Wu came and got this, this deal with the Patrolman's uh, Association but that it actually happened and it wasn't volatile. I think it was 14 months mm-hmm. that she was having uh, discussions with them. Uh, Larry Calderon, the, the Patrolmen's Association spokesperson or president said that you know, she actually came in and closed the deal and went to the meetings and expressed how important uh, the police were to her and that was important. Uh, and, you know, and you can talk about um, did this really deliver on her campaign promises about reforming the police? Uh, it is kind of shocking. I think that if I were convicted of murder, I'd be able to be um, fired, but you know, there, this arbitration system was in place. That's gone now, uh, so that's good news. That does move the ball forward. But I think the big victory for her is to see both the, the, the union praising the deal and then at her press conference this week being flanked by uh, black and brown male leaders. Uh, within the community, within Boston. Uh, Tito Jackson, one of the the former city councilor, uh, was one of the people there, uh, people representing all sorts of organizations saying, uh, we didn't get everything, Mm -hmm. but we moved forward. So it's just a a complete win for Michelle Mm -hmm. Wu and for the city, because obviously we want uh, the police to get the raises that they deserve like everyone else and the good police officers who want to be able to do their jobs without the stain of the bad police officers.
0: And to that point we do have some sound that we can play from uh, that press conference with Mayor Wu and uh, those black leaders uh, out in the community. Let's go and take a listen. I know there are individuals who are going to say this is not perfect uh, and it's absolutely not perfect um, but this is definitely progress. We're going to continue to push uh, for more transparency and for more involvement in the processes moving forward. But let's just take a minute to revel in this moment that there is a new trajectory on how these things happen. So as you heard there, imperfect, mm-hmm. but a step forward. I thought it was interesting. So so the, the, the press conference with the community leaders was held the day after the press conference with the, the, the labor representatives and the police department. Uh, Commissioner Cox was there as well. Um, and they... To talk about the reforms, they 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 put forward the 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 case of Patrick Rose, right? Um, who you probably know the 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 sordid and, and awful history there, but I I kind of found it strange that that was sort of the example given when talking about these reforms. And something like this can never happen again. And I just thought to myself, are folks worried about something like that happening again, or are they more worried about the excessive force and and the the things that can happen on a day to day basis, racial profiling, things like that when it comes to these reforms. Um, but then as you heard from, from those from those black leaders that this is a good step forward. Um, it'll be interesting to see when, you know, we, we get that first incident where the new agreement does come into place and we, we see, you know, an officer go through go through that process. Um, and I gotta think this is good news for Commissioner Cox, obviously yeah. still somewhat not new on the job, he's been a police officer in Boston for a very long time. But a- as that commissioner, um, because even he has come under some heat, where an officer was found to have violated policy, but still allowed to remain on the force through this arbitration. Um, I got to think this is probably a good place for him to be to say, okay, I've got this agreement in right. place, we've got these reforms, and his
1: history as well, being right. a victim having, of, uh, of, police of, of police brutality. I mean, but the reality of these negotiations, and you know, I get accused of being too cold blooded sometimes about these things, but. You can't move forward on dealing with the uh, the abuses of the badge unless you take care of these big problems, which is you could be a rapist, a child rapist, and serve as the president of the union and have everyone know. I mean, what? Who cares if you're hitting someone? If if this kind of egregious crime can happen without any any uh, consequence and building the goodwill of making sure that the police got the raises. I mean, you know we can argue how much money should or shouldn't go into the police department but public servants should get raises that they mm. deserve and they should get cost of living raises mm. uh... and that's the goodwill that michelle has who has brought to this negotiation the police accepted it. that's also goodwill so i think that we're in a um, you know i think it now starts mm. right this is retroactive as well it goes back i think to twenty yeah. Um and so now we're at sort of ground zero of where uh, Police Commissioner Cox, Mayor Wu, and the Boston police will
0: move forward. So I've been asking around the, the newsroom, to, talking to folks who have been in Boston and Massachusetts much longer than I have. Um, part of the, the, my shock, getting the, the email late Friday of last week saying they're gonna be, there's gonna be a press conference because they have a deal was, why, why are these negotiations not public? Mm-hmm. When I worked in San Antonio, I remember for months and months and months sitting at City Hall as the police union and the city's negotiators, the city manager, um, went at it head to head. And it was, you got to get down into the nitty gritty. I mean, they were talking about things like health insurance, but obviously the, the sort of more important for the community-based aspect of uh, discipline. Why aren't these things public, and I guess I'll ask you, should they be public? Well, Because it's taxpayer money at the end of the day.
1: I I don't know why they're not public, but I can see that it's sort of like when you're in a jury, Mm -hmm. you know, the first thing you don't want to do is have everybody vote if somebody is innocent or guilty, Mm -hmm. because once you put out what you're going to do, then you're stuck out there. Mm -hmm. So if the police or the the city is asking for something they're not going to get, um, it in the end, it may look like a loss when it ends up being a victory. Mm. So I think from a negotiating standpoint, uh, it, is, it is beneficial to not be looking like you didn't get what you wanted, mm. because sometimes you're asking for things that are too much anyway, a negotiation ploy. Mm.
0: So and I, look, I get, I get they, can, they, can, they can slow, it can slow negotiations down, but just you know when we're talking about disciplinary reform for the Boston yeah. Police Department, I think it is, it is more beneficial for the public to have sort of insight on what is being agreed to or what is being negotiated, it's like in politics, you know. Every every day, somebody throws something up the flagpole to see if anybody salutes it, and if it doesn't work, then it, it usually finds its way out of legislation. Um, so I just I just wonder if there's sort of and, and plus as a journalist, we want to know everything at all at all times. Um, but I just I just think it, it's. If, if transparency should be first, and while I while I get that you need to have some sort of confidential discussions, look, you can always go into executive session. We see the city council do it all the time, um, but I, I I just think there's there's something missing there when when these sort of negotiations aren't public, and not just police. I no, remember the, being yep. in, I remember being in Lawrence, Kansas, and 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 reporting on and watching negotiations between the teachers union. In the city, and, and hearing about what's going on and why certain things are being asked for, and why the city wouldn't bend on other items, um, so it's just it's just something that I, that I thought about, uh, you know, as we as we covered this. Um, not the only recent deal to be struck. Um, last time we were here, uh, we still had no supplemental budget. Right. We now have a supplemental budget. Uh, just. Put a quick bow on that were you surprised that the democrats were able to kind of bypass the it just takes one republican to to throw this thing to throw a wrench in the plans
1: i i just don't I, again i'm just going to sound like a broken record or whatever the the current equivalent is in 2023 of that i don't understand why we keep getting here why why this super majority of democrats keep ending up unable to hit the deadlines that they themselves have set on things that they are fundamentally, directionally, and almost to detail agreeing on and putting themselves in a position where the Republicans have the opportunity to, to muck things up. And it just, it just is, is crazy to me. And we just accept it and say it's mm-hmm. the process, like Governor Healy mm-hmm. said to us when we talked to her uh, a, a few weeks ago. I, I'm surprised that Republicans didn't muck it up, except these, these raises for state lawmakers, mm-hmm. again. I mean state employees, which were approved a long time ago, we're, were in the mix. So I think that's what made it easy to, to swallow. And, you know, in the scheme of things, right. the money for the migrants is not that much. Right. So, they've, already,
0: they've already started asking for more. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, $250 million going to, to, to the state's emergency shelter system. Obviously, we're going to continue to stay on top of that because part of this deal was regular updates yep. on the amount of families that are coming and who's being housed, who isn't. So we'll, we'll continue to... To monitor that. All right, let's uh, go to Capitol Hill now uh, and talk about other things people said this past couple of days, Um, but it's still a local flavor. You had the presidents of Harvard and MIT on the Hill testifying about um, the rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses, specifically Harvard and MIT. Of course, on NBC in Boston, we've been broadcasting some of the the, the rallies that have been held. Um, there have been stories of, of harassment and bullying and you know, physical intimidation, um, but their testimony did not go over well, not only with the GOP-led House that was running the hearing, but also back here in Boston, in Cambridge, um, and from, from alumni, and you've already had major corporations or leaders of major corporations. Saying you know maybe we're going to be looking differently at Harvard and MIT students uh, who may be involved in sort of this activity. What do you make of the what What did you make of what they said and how they answered this question of is anti-Semitism allowed on your campus? And I'm paraphrasing, but that was sort of the the yeah. ju- the, the gist of the question um, and and just their their responses to it.
1: So I think everybody who's ever been uh, in crisis communication um, got a migraine when mm-hmm. they were they were speaking because I. I understand what they were trying to say, and I am flummoxed at how so very smart people cannot, cannot say it, okay? The answer is, anybody calling for genocide or murder on our campus, that's not allowed. Right. If you wanted to put on a parody show, mm-hmm. <laughs> a Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and call for genocide as satire, that is allowed. And I think that's what they were, t- when, when they were saying the context, mm-hmm. right? Well, of course, anything you say within context, that's how you interpret it. But calling for genocide, calling for uh, death to people is, is just not accepted. And we're also learning that some of these organizations on the campuses are not even um, recognized organizations. They're not part of the fabric. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be so hard to say you can't come on to our school grounds when you're not a member of our, our, our accepted Uh, Clubs
0: and call for genocide. It's that simple. Why do you then? Why do you think Claudine Gay? I guess struggled to to say She had to follow up the testimony with a statement saying don't don't mistake uh, my reluctance to to say certain things as as condoning sort of this activity For me looking at it I, I thought okay. She's she's in sort of a legal bind from a moral standpoint duh Yes, anti-Semitism is horrible. Islamophobia is horrible. It has no place on Harvard's campus. But legally, and of of course these institutions want to be held up as as bastions of free speech, I think she sort of tied herself in knots to say, okay, what is the right legal answer here? Yes, our students do have the right and we embrace free speech, but when it comes to that code of conduct at a private university, mind you, maybe there is some, I mean, you kept hearing the word, well, does the speech lead to conduct? What is right. the context of it? Um, in the end, it ended up word salad uh, and it ended up going viral on social media. Now you've got people calling for her to resign from right. her post.
1: Listen, th- this whole free speech idea just, it, it, it enormously entertains me in the mm-hmm. fact of how people don't understand what free speech is and what free speech means, right? Yes. And also free speech is completely subjective, mm-hmm. right? And the, you know, the example that's been given, if the KKK, K, the KKK showed up on Harvard and started you know, saying some of the things that the KKK has said, they would not be celebrated for their free speech. Sometimes conservatives show up on college campuses and talk about um, being anti-choice or, uh, anti-abor- or, or anti-abortion and they get shut down, mm-hmm. right? So it's who the listener is where the free speech is determined. You can say all those things and still say, it's morally wrong. I understand the dynamics of free speech, and we're a private university, and we can do whatever we want.
0: Yeah, I think she had that. I think that. Was, I think that could have been one of her 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 ways out um, to avoid the, the free speech, I guess absolutist coming at her. Um, and then also, she finally we know when, when Elise uh, Stevnick was asking her about what disciplinary action has been taken. Well, that's student privacy. I'm not going to yeah. tell you. And she finally she finally said it. Um, but I also I also we what can't get lost in this is, yes, the answers to the questions are getting a lot of the attention. But maybe we should also pay attention to the people asking the questions, because the very folks who are angry about what was said at that testimony are the same folks who are associating with the likes of Nick Fuentes yep. out there who have spread the, the conspiracy of the great replacement theory yep. um, and, and have gotten away with it. And have never been challenged. Well, they have been challenged because it is anti-Semitic. Um, but they just kind of brush their hands of it and say, "Oh, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't agree with them." But you know, I'm, if they ask me to take a picture, you know, I don't know who these people are. Well, to
1: the point. I mean, this is it's the free speech is when yeah. you're listening to it, right? So if somebody's holding a tiki tor- torch mm-hmm. and saying uh, Jews will not replace us, and you're happy to take their campaign donations, mm-hmm. and you're happy not to 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 denounce them, and then you're going to get upset that a pro-Palestinian group uh, has been saying some anti-Semitic and uh, terrible uh, things that they probably shouldn't be saying, but you're upset about that, but not mm-hmm. upset about that. You know, it's really just who's lining up. That's
0: where we are in 23. I mean, you look at my, my home state of Texas, where the GOP, the state GOP had, literally had to, had to take a vote on whether or not they were going to put into writing into their 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 policies and their their rules and their platform that it is not okay to associate with people who espouse nazi viewpoints and it's not in the it's not in their their policies now they they said no we're not we're not going to do that and it's just you just wonder like where where are we if we can all say that anti-semitism is bad yet some folks still sort of get a free pass on you know associating with with these groups that espouse these terrible, terrible viewpoints. It's just, it's just really interesting, and it, it's also interesting to, to see the, the, the free speech absolutists, mm-hmm. you know, sort of taking a victory lap. Oh yeah, over no, the, 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 g- the cancel
1: count. Yeah, yeah. It's listen. My mother always told me that if you walk in a room, look around and see who you're with,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and <laughs> yeah, decide if that's the room you want to be in.
0: Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's stay on Capitol Hill and also talk about. Um, somebody going back on their word <laughs> it was, uh, it was just it was just months ago that that Kevin McCarthy stood before the House of Representatives and said I do not quit <laughs> Kevin McCarthy has quit he is going to leave Congress before his term is up to I paraphrasing pursue other passions why do you think he ultimately made this decision because while he did lose his speakership the one thing he did not lose was the ability to fundraise for his party and for those members in the House.
1: So I want to go back in time for a second to answer your question. Um, back when Newt Gingrich was mm-hmm. uh, the, speak, the Speaker of the House, when he took over in the midterm of Bill Clinton, and I was lobbying down in Washington, D.C., and uh, walked into one of our congresspeople here from Massachusetts, the late Gary Studs office. and the level of depression that (laughs) Gary Studs had, uh, having no, losing his chairmanship, whatever he was in charge in, losing his positions of power, uh, and just basically saying he wanted to pack up and go home. And I was, you know, this was 30 years ago or so, I was young and shocked at how depressed and upset he was that he was just gonna take his ball and go home because the Democrats weren't in charge anymore. And so when this happens, I think of that, Kevin McCarthy, who basically you know was one of the young guns one yeah. of the three uh... republicans who are going to change the world he
0: lasted the longest we'll give him he credit did. for that He was
1: the last as someone on twitter put uh, the only gun control the republicans have had <laughs> has been the elimination of the three young guns uh... you know he put himself you know, we were joking about how you just can't believe what kevin mccarthy says and that's what everyone has been saying but a, a, a great fundraiser for the party uh... i think this was an f around and find out moment where he said to them, you treated me poorly. I'm not gonna raise money for you. Uh, this is the ongoing civil war within the Republican Party, which is, I think, you know, gonna split at some point. Who knows what he's gonna do? Maybe he and uh, Liz Cheney will team up and travel the world and try and launch a new party. But um, this is a disaster for the Republican Party in, in in the House. I mean, how many votes do they need now? I mean, it's the, the slim majority. I think majority the majority
0: is down to either Because he's not the only one leaving. Patrick McHenry is leaving as well. So and
1: you've got the Santos open seat. Santos
0: open seat. So I think their majority might be down to three or two, depending on how those seats ultimately get filled. Who wins a special election here? Now that gives no
1: cover to Republicans who are in swing states. Mm -hmm. You know, usually you'll say, you know, all right, Corey, you can vote no on this. Don't worry about it, so you can get reelected. I mean, this is really going to make getting anything passed. Uh, THAT THE REPUBLICANS WANT TO GET PASSED IN 2024, ALMOST IMPOSSIBLE. I MEAN,
0: YOU'VE EVEN SEEN ON TWITTER, YOU KNOW, the, the, THE SORT OF POLITICAL STRATEGISTS THAT I FOLLOW SAYING DEMOCRATS SHOULD GET READY. WHO KNOWS? THERE COULD BE A DAY WHERE, AND MAYBE IT'S FOR FOUR HOURS OR SIX HOURS OR SOMETHING, WHERE THE DEMOCRATS ARE IN THE MAJORITY. STILL JUST TAKES ONE MOTION TO VACATE. YOU HAVE THE MAJORITY. Hakeem JEFFRIES ALL OF A SUDDEN BECOMES SPEAKER maybe there's something that you wanna get done very quickly. Yeah. Um, and I, I would yearn to see just the, the political environment and atmosphere of something like that happening. But, but as you said, this is this is not good for, for a Republican party that is continuing to fight amongst itself over who they want to be as a party. And at this and really just going back to, to, to 2016 now, you know, it, it just, although they've, they've lost many an election, it really does seem like the MAGA wing of this party, the Freedom Caucus wing of this party, is calling the shots now.
1: Yeah, and it's, I know that we talk about this presidential election as if it's a done deal sometime, but you don't want your party in turmoil while you're running for president. It's, it's not helpful, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's the, the, the dysfunction of the Republicans in the House is gonna get on who, you know, if it's Trump or if it's Haley, Whomever the candidate is, uh, it's going to get on them.
0: And this, what, what this means for Ukraine funding, what this yep. means for Israel funding, what this means for border funding moving forward is, is going to be interesting to see. And, and it's, it, it seems like every few days we get a new sco- a story out about Speaker Johnson's past and some of the yep. things that, that, that he has said and that he has believed or some of the things that he has been associated with. Um, and he's under the cosh now. And you've even got folks who are starting to turn on him. So who knows, maybe by the end of the year, we do get another motion to vacate mm-hmm. and we, we go into the new year with another speaker fight. I don't know who's, who's left at this point who would actually run for it, um, but, but we could end up there. So, so that'll be interesting to see. You mentioned the, the, the election, um, we had yet another debate. I think this one, probably the lowest rated of, of them all. I, you, when you, when you have When you have people running for president saying, presidential debates don't matter, or at least GOP primary debates don't matter, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody stand out to you? And we know Nikki Haley is on her rise. Did, did either Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, or Vivek Ramaswamy do anything to sort of knock her down a peg?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, again, this is, um, when you watch these debates for many, many centuries, um, you get the the idea of where the candidates are growing in their debate performance. and. Uh, Nikki Haley got caught I think a few times last uh, in the debate not not taking advantage of owning the stage right I mean it's sort of like she's gone up a couple of levels now and now she has to find her footing to move forward um, I, I don't think not responding when you know I forget what Vivek said to her but just saying I'm not even going to address that yeah yeah and not dignified you know, with the response Chris, Chris Christie kind of come to her defense about how smart she is mm. Um, I, I think she could have commanded the stage more and and looked more presidential. Um, but again, she didn't hurt herself. She's only on, yeah. on the uptick. Chris Christie, you know, he's the Vivek Slayer now. Mm-hmm. He's moved on from, <laughs> kept Trump, and now he's going after Vivek, who, you know, everyone wants to see slain uh, on the debate stage. Uh, and DeSantis just, I think, continues his decline, and Vivek is just the flavor of, of the month.
0: Two things. I think... Um all this new PAC money coming yeah. Haley's way. I think the Chris Christie comment ends up in an ad. It's a very smart, talented woman, um, especially given the second thing, you've got backers of Nikki Haley talking to Chris Christie saying, hey, how about you drop out and support Nikki Haley for, for, for president? You want to beat Trump. It appears that she is the one who's, who's going, who can do it um, and, and appeal to the, to the, to the middle Uh, you know, in a sort of general election. But from his standpoint, he's going to continue to take shots at Trump just because he simply does not like the guy and does not believe that he is fit to serve in office. And who knows, if he does well enough in New Hampshire, that could be more momentum to, 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 to stay in the race and You know, it's not not for anybody to say they should or should not get out at this point when you're when you've made every single debate stage.
1: There's there's a a funny thing I think that's happening. I was just listening to one of Kara Swisher's um, podcasts, uh, her interview with Liz Cheney, Mm. and um, she was pushing Cheney to see if she would endorse a candidate. And Cheney said, how would that possibly help a Republican candidate if I endorse them? Basically, it would you know, it would do more harm. Uh, I'm willing to vote for Joe Biden, which Cheney has said over Trump. And it made me really think hard for a moment and took pause about, well, exactly how many Republicans are not endorsing, we'll just say Nikki Haley, because they don't want to hurt Haley. And how is that actually going to play out in Iowa and in New Hampshire? Is this the silent majority of Republicans who are being quiet as to not hurt the candidate? I'm I'm just, it's kind of an interesting thing. To that point,
0: these Republican women governors. Yeah. Um, women senators, um, some of, some of whom came out very early for, for Ron DeSantis when he was seen as the candidate to be that anti-Trump candidate and move the party forward. I wonder if they're sort of starting to regret, um, their decision. I guess you could say I'm going to you can't change your endorsement. No, but they're
1: but she, quiet quitting. They <laughs> might be quiet quitting. <laughs> quiet I'm quitting gonna, Ron yeah, yeah, I'll make those phone calls yeah. for you, Ron. Uh, yeah, don't, yeah, don't call anybody. <laughs> um, so,
0: so, so, so we'll see. Like I said, Iowa is just around the corner. Uh, we finally do have a, deba- uh, a day for for the New Hampshire primary. But it'll be interesting to see. We just got word that there is going to be more debates right before the Iowa caucus and New Hampshire primary. to appear CNN in line to hold hold the GOP debate. Um,
1: but without Trump, look, we just talked about the debate. We didn't even mention Trump, like not being there. He's up in so court. I, but it's just like what it's, it's, I, I think if I were a Republican voter, I got it. Mm. And without Trump there or without them attacking Trump, you know, not just for his, he's too busy mm. to be president. Uh, I, I just don't know what the value is here.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see sort of what, what sort of strategy a, a Nikki Haley takes because in the debate she had to fend off attacks from from DeSantis and, and, and Ramaswamy and did more of that than actually going at Trump. And she has tried to sort of straddle the line between I'm not criticizing Trump, the politician, the the GOP leader, the the former president. I'm criticizing everything around him, his aura, Trump mm-hmm. the man. And I, I I I don't well one, I don't know if, if if Trump voters really feel like there is a distinction there. Um, but at some point she is going to have to go at him, um, and, at, and hopefully at some point they both end up on stage together so we can see it.
1: To quote Liz Cheney from this other podcast, Kara wishes <laughs> podcast again, you know, she, she's been very clear in saying, look, it, I, I voted for Trump's policies 90 percent of the time. I agreed with what Trump was trying to do except for some foreign policy issues with China, and, and that and I don't want him to be president. That's, you know, that's a clear way of really distinguishing the policies from the person and that's I think what Nikki Haley has to start doing.
0: Well, it'll be interesting to watch, as like I said, Iowa getting closer and closer by the day, New Hampshire getting closer as well. Of course, we will be covering it all here on Taking Issue as well as on uh, At Issue every Sunday morning. That's going to do it for this week's show. But before we go, so I'm going to ask you what you're writing or what you're writing. I'm what writing. You're, yeah, what's your what's your reading and what you're watching?
1: Well, I just finished a Stephen King novel, Holly. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'm a huge Stephen King fan, and um, I have to say, I have not read a book mm-hmm. in a while. I've been okay. listening to books, mm-hmm. so that was exciting, and I'm watching. Watching the last um, season of The Crown, okay. uh, with uh, of course the, the, the Diana era, mm-hmm. uh, and having lived through it, actually it's kind of contemporary for me now, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really, um, you know, I don't know how much of it is true, but you know it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. How about, um,
0: you know? What am I reading? Uh, I am almost finished with uh, Mehdi Hassan's book uh, that, that he wrote about how to win arguments and, and debates. And while I don't, while I'm not reading it to, to, to learn how to become a I was going to say, because if you get debater, really annoying at the desk, right. I may have to. Um, but I think, I think he is a very skilled interviewer, and some of the excerpts in there, some of the anecdotes in there, I think, I'm hoping can really make me a better journalist
1: i love how he doesn't get distracted no there's like you, you he does not get taken off his yeah. point his path is,
0: is yeah and he sticks to he brings he brings the receipts he's he's well well sourced he's well read he's, he's a, a very very smart guy and it's it's interesting to hear uh how his time debating at oxford or or you know here in america comes into how he does interviews um, and usually somehow, some way, gets somebody in a bind uh, and ultimately get them to answer their questions. So I'm re- I'm reading that. I'm almost done with it. Lots of highlighting being done, <laughs> uh, and I am watching. Um, this is gonna sound silly. Whatever. It's it's it's. Reality TV, but it's fun. Uh, Squid Game, the challenge. Oh, did you watch the show Squid Game? I did watch the show Squid okay. Game
1: and did consider watching the the challenge.
0: I, it is it is better than I thought. Okay. Um, because all the challenges are still the same. You know. You red don't light, die though. Red, you don't die. <laughs> but the the way they do and this doesn't ruin anything. The way so red light green light like in the in the show you get shot you die. Um, the way that they do it is they have you've seen you know stunt stump people get shot and they have little packs that explode <laughs> underneath their shirts, that's what they do. So they'll have somebody just standing there, they're caught or they're trying to see if they made it and they'll get copped. But then they, I don't know if they force them to or the, the contestants take it upon themselves. They actually do like a dying scene where they just like fall over or something. Um, but it's, it's very, it's very, the way that they do it is, is is very clever. You do still see the sort of interpersonal dynamics um, when they are you know in the barracks and in the bunks and, and, and little clicks forming yeah. here and there and the one thing that's funny to me is some of them treat it as if they're on survivor and try to form these sort of alliances oh, yeah. it's like that's, no you don't you don't need to not do that, that. Game. you don't need to do that but just the, the backstabbing and you know some of the like the, the challenge where they have to walk down the the uh, the platform and there's there's a glass but sometimes it falls through it's funny to see them say, okay, hey, there's a way that we can do this where it's fair for everybody. And, and, and so everybody has an equal shot, a 50-50 chance of, of advancing. And some of them are like, no, I'm not going to do that. This, what, $4.6 million up for, up for grabs. Uh, so it's good that I haven't watched the finale yet. Uh, but it is, it is actually, if you're a fan of the show, um, it, is a, it is a good twist on the show to, to actually make it real. Uh, and make it dramatic and suspenseful. So, so that, that's, right. that's what i All right, I'll I'm have to watching. check it out. The Squid Game, The Challenge, it's on Netflix. Uh, that is going to do it for this week's show. We always appreciate you watching us via YouTube or at NBC10Boston.com slash at issue. And, of course, you can join us every Sunday morning at 1130 on NBC10Boston for at issue. For Sue O'Connell, I'm Corey Smith. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend.